Good morning, Lighthouse family. Let's stand and celebrate that we are alive in Christ today. A living vine that we're connected to. More on that later. I was lost with a broken heart You picked me up and now I'm set apart From the ash I am born again Forever safe in the Savior's hands You are more than my words can say I follow you, Lord, for all my days Fix my eyes, follow in your ways Forever free in a everybody. You please be seated. How's everybody doing this morning? I'm wandering around with this. So I'll put this away in a minute. Well, you're probably wondering why I don't have the pulpit all ready to go and ready to speak, because today is a special morning, a special morning where you get to be part of the blessing, which is Little Lighthouse. Now, I know all you know, Little Lighthouse has been across the street for years, and Marge has been a legend in the town, but we're going to try something this year when the preschool gets ready to embark. We're going to have their staff come and we're going to have our staff come. So Sherry, let me get a mic for Sherry. And we are going to take a blessed moment 
to share this blessed event with our church as we get a chance to pray and introduce to you the Little Lighthouse Preschool staff. And this, of course, is our tremendous families ministry director, Sherry. Come on, Sherry. Don't step in here. Danger. Morning, everyone. How's everyone? Good. That's great. I'm so glad you're all here. Are here. So what I'd like to do is um, just take a minute to kind of pray over our preschool, mm-hmm. and then also take a minute to pray over our students mm-hmm. here in our church family, um, our preschool age kids through our college age kids. I think it's only fair that we include even the big ones. Um, we all know, I mean, how many times have we had to say it? It's been a crazy, what are we on, 20 months About at this that. point? Yeah. Um, and so I really think it's important that we take this time to kind of come before God and leave all of our anxieties and our worries, concerns, anything that we are carrying into this new school year and just lay it at his feet. We know that he already has a plan. He already knows what's going to happen. But the act of us actually acknowledging that we're laying it down, that is what is important because we are giving it to him. We are giving our kids to him. We are giving our preschool, our teachers, we are giving them to him, knowing that he has a plan and he has it all under control. As a mom of fourth grader and a high schooler, we started school on Monday and it was a crazy, crazy week. New schools for both of them. My high schooler, who is 14 years old, got on his bike at 6.30 in the morning and drove or rode away. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? (laughs) He has water polo practice. He didn't come back until 5 o'clock that night. And it was like all I could do for my mama heart to hang on. You got this, mama. (laughs) (laughs) Until 5 o'clock. And so, acknowledging all of that, I would like to first ask our preschool teachers and our preschool staff, all of our aides, our director, and our assistant director, all of you, please stand up where you're at. Just stand up where you're at. Everyone stand up. Blue room. Orange room. Green room. Green room. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right, please extend your hands. As we pray, God, we come before you lifting up our little lighthouse preschool, our staff, our directors, teachers, aides, and also our children, God. I pray that you will be in this place. I pray that you will be in the preschool, that every single child, every single staff member that walks through those gates will know that you are there. I pray for peace as they finalize all of their preparation. I pray that things will go smoothly over the next few weeks with all of the final details that need to take place for gates, classroom doors, handles, everything, God. You already know the ending, and I am so grateful for that. And so we come before you, and we lay their school year at your feet, knowing that you are already holding it. I pray for all of these servants who have come before you to pour into our preschool children this year. 
May you keep them healthy, keep them safe. We thank you for your protection. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. All right. One more. One more. Sorry. Uh-oh. You, you gave me a microphone. You're recruiting. So. I feel you're recruiting. <laughs> you gave me a microphone. All right. So do I it. just thought I'd say. All right. Next. Our elementary, junior high, high school, and uh, college students. If you are a parent of a college student who has already moved, then please stand up. So elementary kids, Sophia, Troy, Jackson, Grayson, here. I want, actually, I'm going to have you come up here. I changed my mind. Come up here. Summer, Jack. Children. Do you have a friend Children with you? Children rise Wonderful. and come, come forth. Come up here. Ooh, perfect. You read my mind. We're going to hold on to this for a second. Okay, just uh, there, there we go. There we go. See, this is what I was afraid of. Everyone stand. Any junior high and high school students? Boys. Boys, I see you. I'm going to stand here until you come up. Uh -oh, Let's go. Samuel, Let's Matthew, go. you're being Josh. called out. Well, Josh, will you come up? Yeah. Sorry, I'm... You know. All right. This is recruiting one-on-one. Church one, family. Yes. These are our students. These are our children. This is our future. This yes. is our next generation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amen. These are the children and young adults that we need to be pouring into. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's all I'm going to say right now. I'm going to pray. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so will you please stretch out your hands while we pray for our kids and our students. Heavenly Father, we bring our children, our students, our young adults, our college kids to you. God, so much has happened in their lives in the last two years, and I pray right now that you will calm all anxiety, that you will take away all fear, and that as each of these kids walk into a classroom tomorrow, next week, the week after God, that they will walk boldly into that classroom knowing that you are in control. You already have their year planned. You know what is going to happen next. I pray for their safety. I pray that you will keep them healthy. God, I pray for their teachers, that their hearts will be ready to accept all of the children that walk through their doors. I pray for our parents, God, that you will give them the strength to walk through another school year. Every day can be different. There are so many uncertainties, God. And I pray right now that every single parent, grandparent, caregiver in this place, watching online, anyone who sees this, God, that they will release all of their fear and anxiety for the school year and that you will grant them peace. I pray for protection for every single school. That you will watch over them and keep them all safe, God. We love you so much. I thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Real quick. I have this poster. And this is a, these are all the spots where I need help pouring into these young children. 
They are our future. They are our next generation. And they are what's realistically going to keep our church going. Right? Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, people, right. Yes. <laughs> so after church, I have some snacks and some sandwiches and some chips. And I'd love for you to come over and say hi so I could meet you because we haven't had really a chance to meet each other. And I'd love for you to find a place for you to get plugged in and hang out with my friends over here mm -hmm. on a Sunday morning. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Miss Siri. Thank you. All right. I better turn that back off so that they know what they're doing. All right. Well, praying for the future generation of the church is an important part of who we are, uh, just like child dedication. And so I just wanted to take a bonus second and say, Kim and Marge, we know what you guys are doing over there every day, and we're super grateful. We know with all the extra protocols and things called upon you guys, thank you guys for the extra time and energy. Kathy and all your Blue Room staff, it looks like Emily, Lauren, Lauren, uh, Rachel, welcome aboard, Mackenzie, Faith, uh, Madison, Coral, Bl Pink Room, Elizabeth, of course, our returning Elizabeth, Heather, Carly, Armand, Mandy, thank you, Nani, of course, Lorena, Abigail, and Renee. Each one of you will be praying for you guys daily. Thank you for the work that you guys are about to pour into because there is no better blessing than a believer in Christ who bears fruit, right? Now, I don't know if they left that slide up there, but fruit is going to be an important part of my 27 minutes, which is what I'm going for. 27. Mark, can you please put up this amazing picture that Jeannie posted? This is a noble grape. And today I am going to have the privilege of teaching you guys an object lesson from John 15 that I believe Jesus, he could not have understood how deep and meaningful it would mean to me some 2,000 years later. For two weeks I have immersed myself in the grape world, in the vineyard world, in the vine dresser world, and I am a teetotaler, so I don't know anything about wines, but I know more about wines right now than any other pastor in America, and I can tell you guys something. A grape has come to be so significant to me that I asked the Lazars, the people that help us with communion all the time, Steve and Pam Lazar, to actually bring in some grapes. And at the end of the service today, when we have a response time, you will actually have the opportunity to get for you and your family a small cup, child-sized cup of grapes. And I really pray that today, by taking the time to dive deep with me into this passage, that you will never look at a grape the same way again. Because I'm telling you right now, I can't. It's just truly amazing. Now, a grape in this passage today is what we call an object lesson. And as we have a bunch of teachers in the room, there's a big difference between an object lesson and a verbal lesson. Now, most Sundays, what you hear from me and Pastor Eric are a lot of verbal lessons. We stand up here and we we exegete a lot of verbal words. And for some of you, that's great, but for some of you, you've got to take those notes down so you can go back in and, and kind of deep dive in that later. But for some of you, there's nothing better than one picture, right? If you have just one picture, just something to identify the message with, the message can come to life. And so I really, I don't have a lot of pictures, but I just want you to be thinking about something. We are from a culture where grapevines are just not all abundant around us, right? Maybe Temecula, Marietta, there's some wine you know, counties around us, but you're going to have to travel to kind of find that. But maybe even so much motivation would come to you today that if you have the opportunity, I noticed this weekend somebody was growing boysenberries. Congratulations to that individual for growing boysenberries. 
maybe you'll be so motivated to plant an actual vine and spend some time caring with it because I guarantee you one of the things we're going to learn is compared to flannel graph Jesus, which we all grew up with flannel graph Jesus, right? And flannel graph Jesus was supposed to walk across the water. And what did he do? He started rolling like a Tootsie Roll and falling off the board. And then the kids would laugh and then the teacher would pound flannel graph Jesus back on the board. And a lot of us grew up with these verbal lessons and lessons where we, we assumed that lessons were stories. And what Jesus was so amazing at was he wanted to communicate things that were real truths. And the passage that we get today explains one thing. The real message that comes from a grapevine is a real lesson. And so the benefit of that is they saw these grapevines every day. If you were 2,000 years ago in Israel, they were all around them. And I believe that's why even the passage where Pastor Eric spoke last week with the upper room meal happening in 14, the washing of the feet, the coming of the spirit, all these different things, as that it kind of concludes, 15 actually takes place, I believe, as they're leaving the upper room and en route to the temple. Now, the reason why I believe that is along the way is a vineyard. And I can just see Jesus as he's walking through the vineyard with these guys after he's experienced this incredible moment of foot washing that he just stops as he's kind of running his hand through some clusters of grapes, stops and just goes into this absolutely amazing passage and begins to teach them. Some other people think it had happened at the temple. They actually made it through the vineyard because as the entrance to the temple, Josephus records, was this magnificent gold arch. And I'm talking magnificent, a giant gold arch. And at the end of both sides of the arches were two clusters of grapes, according to Josephus, said to be the size of a man. So however Jesus is teaching the passage, he has some kind of verbal and visual uh, acuities to kind of show them, this is what's happening, guys, and this is something I want to share with you. And I guarantee you, I'm going to share this with you today, and you're going to hear it at one level, but as you continue to walk through this vineyard, as you continue to walk through life, you will never, ever consider me and my father's involvement in your life passive ever again. And I don't know about you, but that seems to be something that's kind of commonplace today in the world that we're looking at, is that a lot of people kind of feel like faith right now has become very passive. I was talking with someone this morning before church service, and he said, please don't be upset um, as me and my wife have kind of just fallen into this routine of watching at home, but we're still just not that comfortable yet. We know we're missing out on the, on the body of Christ, but we're just kind of, we've kind of fallen into this. And it's like, church, just for your information, no matter where you are, whether you're at home watching this, and hello to you individuals watching this, whether you're in here, or whether this message catches you a week, two weeks, a year down the road, there's, not, there's no time to be passive. What you're going to learn today from the vine, the vine dresser, and the branches is every single day we are alive. Every single day you have the opportunity to bear fruit, and every single day that you don't bear fruit it's the end results of that would not be beneficial for you. You have a job. We have a job to do to remain and abide. And if we do so, he is faithful to provide something for you. So let me pray and then open with me to John 15. And we're going to do 1 through 8. John 15, 1 through 8. Father God, this morning already full of lots of different excitement as I get a chance to see the next generation of fruit bearers. But the reality is, Father, that even in their small, small stages of life, I mean, I'm blessed to have my grandson with me this morning in the building, and I'm, I'm blessed to just see that it's three months old, Father. There's already fruit. There's already the opportunity to just see blessing. There's already the opportunity to realize that 
our life truly takes on a whole new meaning when we have the opportunity to bless others and serve others. And for sure, if there's one thing that this morning kind of speaks to in this simple, simple passage, is that we should not be walking by things every day and just thinking, oh, it's just so matter-of-fact, it's so mundane. I've had grapes before, I've had you know, raisins, I've had all these, there's nothing that significant about it. Everything about who you are and everything about your relationship with us is significant. Father, if it wasn't for your spirit, if it wasn't for your involvement in our life, then the very breath that we breathe would be, be done. For you know us before we're born, and you know us when we are going to return home to you. So that makes every breath that we take a blessing and an opportunity to live in such a way as abiding in you brings fruit to bear. Father, I pray that this morning you help us to see this truth so plainly and clearly. We ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. So I'm going to kind of read this proficiently one time. Then we're going to jump back into the three main characters, and then I'm going to close with it by reading it again. And I want you to just kind of take your time with me as we go through it the first time, and then we're going to really deep, di deep dive in three components of it. All right, here we go. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that, they, so that it may bear more fruit. And you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch, dries up, then gather them and cast into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, whatever, whenever you wish, whatever you wish, it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. That you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. All right, first thing there, I hope you have an old school Bible, and you notice that all the print was red. Okay? Now, most of us take for granted that we know what that is, but just in case you don't know what that means, that means that these are the words spoken by Jesus. John the Beloved is recording the words as he hears from Jesus, and as we know from the old E.F. Hutton commercial from 2,000 years ago, when E.F. Hutton talks, listen, right? So I want you to listen to this, but I also want you to realize something. He was speaking to them specifically about three things. Vines branches, the vine itself, the vine dresser, and of course, branches. That's not necessarily something that we get a chance to talk much about. I did some quick research for California, and I looked up vines. This is what I came up with. Number one, bougainvillea. How many of you are relating to this story already by looking at your beautiful bougainvillea and trying to think about how, no, thank you, Rachel, it doesn't work. Bougainvilleas are obnoxious, they have spines. They drop those pink little beautiful flowers in tons into your pool, into everything else, and eventually rats inhabit them as a highway hotel. Super exciting for Bougainvillea. Second up, ivy. Woo! There's a picture of beauty. Ivy, uh, ivy's basically like a giant weed. I mean, they use it in the freeways to like block the walls so you don't just see all concrete your whole life. It's like, there's ivy. And it's always dusty. Like if you ever walk through ivy, it's always dusty. And the first thing that when you walk through ivy is like it's always got trash in it. 
right? It's just ivy. It's, it's, it's gross. Number three, this is California, the three most popular ivies, star jasmine. Whew, that has a nice ring to it, right? Actually, star jasmines are beautiful. They have a beautiful white little flower. They smell lovely. But for any of you that have pollen issues, once you put your star jasmine on your little trellis and you walk through that, it's just going to bloom a massive amount of pollen, and you're going to have a lovely allergy attack every time you walk through your beautiful star jasmine. Is it any wonder why, as Californians, we hear a passage about noble grapes, wine, and vineyards, and we think, flannel graph Jesus, right? Flannel graph Jesus. We instantly go back into the storytelling mode, where it really bothers me sometimes, like we've grown up kind of teaching our kids, like the Bible's full of these myths and these kind of little generic stories. They're not actual truths. But this is not only actual truth, this was reality for them. And they walk through this, and Jesus stops, and he grabs this vine, and he says, I am the true vine. Now, I don't know about you, but one thing that happens to me on Sunday is I go through different modes of, like, clarity. And at certain times in the morning, I'm much more clear. Right about 10.30, when Eric's right in the middle of the message, is about when I'm the most clear. That's usually when someone walks in the back or I get a text that the nursery is missing someone and something happens. Because the devil knows if he can distract me at 10.30, then I lose focus. But can you imagine how focused these guys were? They just had their feet washed by Jesus. They just had this incredible Last Supper. And they're walking with him, not knowing what's going on, but they are fired up. And all of a sudden, he reaches out to this vine, and he stops. Don't they already know? But this is the beauty of the object lesson, right? The object lesson allows you to take something that's real, an actual vine, and then apply something that's spiritual. And when Jesus says, I am the true vine, and then goes into this dissertation, he has their full attention. Why? Because there's lots of other vines out there, guys but none of them are going to be able to do something that only I can do. What is it that Jesus can only do? Bring salvation, right? Only the true vine bears true fruit. And for the record, whenever we mention the word fruit today from Galatians 5, fruit is never plural. It's not fruits. The fruit of the Spirit is sevenfold, right? And when Jesus is going to talk about these things, and when Jesus is going to bring this whole thing to light, he's going to say, the type of vine that I am is not only the true vine, but it's the only vine that produces true fruit, singular. But it's going to be expressed later on in many different facets. Obviously, if we go through that, as we come to the vine and what it brings, that always ends in faith, right? The final fruit of the fruit of the Spirit, faith. Not just any vine will work. There's, there's other vines that can get your attention, but only one vine can bring you to salvation. So in that, I want you to realize something. Since I am the true vine, I am the only nourishment you will ever need. Now, I don't know about you, but nourishment is one of those things where I have my grandson back there, and he's a very large baby. I have a large baby on one side and a very small baby on another side. By the way, for those of you praying for Walker, thank you, uh, John Group. Walker's almost uh, six pounds now, so he's gained six ounces, and he's off his little baby CPAP, which even though it was the cutest thing in the world, um, mom is really glad that he's breathing on his own, so he's continuing to make progress. Still looking at maybe three or four more weeks in NICU, but thank you guys for all your concerted prayers, and we'll continue to update you. But my other grandson is in the back, Adam is back there, and my son and his wife are back there, so I'm feeling very blessed, and that was really confusing to me. But who's responsible for Adam's nourishment? his mom, right? 
And Adam does not have the ability to go seek nourishment from other places. Right now, he is at a very personal stage in his life where he wants nourishment from one thing. And that nourishment that he gets is life-changing. When I thought about this this week, I'm like, this branch in abiding in Jesus is our nourishment is really cool because he gives us an actual word to sink our teeth into. The word is abide. Okay? Now, as you were, as we heard the passage, you maybe didn't realize how many times you heard it, but Pastor E is going to cover abide next week with such great detail that I'm not going to jump in it to this morning. Just going to tell you this. It means mino, and it means remain, and it means many different other things, but it's real simple. All the branch has to do is abide. When we get to the branches part, that's going to be significant. What else does Jesus say? I am responsible for your protection. Protection, what it, protection from what? Okay, well, it's relative to a vine. The passage is about a grapevine. And something that we may not have understood that I've been able to study over the last few weeks, the picture that you see right there is, is the world-famous noble grape. The noble grape was brought from Spain and parts that were so far away that when they brought it to the Americas, it was considered treasured. They planted it in the ground, and they worked very diligently, and for the first four to five years, they had success, and they were very excited that it could grow. One day they woke up, and everything they had toiled and labored for for four to five years was absolutely devastated by a ground-bound insect. That told them something, that as much as they wanted to grow noble grapes here, it was not resistant to the pestilence in the soil. Thus, the, the, the concept of grafting came to be right? Grafting is this amazing thing. Now, if you're a rose person or any other kind of person who works with stuff, the original types of grafting would be you would literally cut into the main vine, and then you would insert a, a stem that also was cut at a certain degree into the vine, and then you would wrap the vine and the new cut stem in in such a way as to provide protection. Originally, what happened was the, the noble vine, which is on the uh, left-hand side, is grafted into the American vine, and it's grafted in just above the root, three inches above the ground. And what they found is that they could graft it in just above the ground, that the resiliency from the North American vine, which didn't produce as good a grape, was sufficient to be transferred to the noble grape. I was, I'm telling you, some of the stuff in the last two weeks, I've had my mind just go... Because remember, it's a spiritual truth, right? It's not just an object lesson. You, you're not going to know how deep God's word is until you dive into it. We are grafted into the vine, right? Israel, God's people, the Jewish people, we are grafted into them. We are together. We are part of what is and will always be one. And being grafted into that means that the resiliency, the resiliency to pestilence and everything else that the North American vine had is transferred to the noble grape. And the noble grape flourished. They've gotten so good at this that this concept of grafting at the stem is now old school. Can you put the next picture up? This is the new way. This is called lock and key. And what happens is there's a machine that chops the stem one way and it chops the other stem another way and it allows it to lock and key in place. It's, it's wound and then it grows and the uh, proficiency is so great that it's enabled them to hybrid the crops so that there's no problem whatsoever. The bottom shaft is still the North American shaft for the pestilence resistance and the top shaft is the noble grape itself, thus allowing it to be one. 
as I watched this morning, there's actually a new way now they're trying to do where they chop just a small little two inches off the left and right of each side and insert a bud under the skin of the chop and then tie it on. So they're continuing to experiment with ways to graft in because they figured out the resiliency is crucial, but what they want is a long-term strong vine. Ultimately, what it means is this. Who is responsible for the fruit itself that we want to bear? The vine. Only the vine tells us what we can bear, right? I want to produce grapes. Well, you get to produce what the vine tells you you're going to produce. You could try to produce something else as a branch, but you're only going to produce what the vine tells you. Now, let's say you're growing oranges or apples or any other type of whatever. You can only grow what the main trunk or the branch or the, excuse me, what the vine brings to you. I think that's important because a lot of us feel like we're trying to, I feel like sometimes we're trying to speed up fruit production, right? We're not to branches yet, but it, it feels like sometimes I want to I wanna tell the vine I'm ready. I, I want to tell the vine I want to do this and that. And what the vine has to tell me is be patient. I got this. Vines have actually been designed. I'm telling you guys, you're never going to, you're all, if you're not wine drinkers or whatever, you're going to have a greater appreciation. Do you know that wine, uh, a, 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 a main vine has been designed that after it fruits, after it has its uh, eight-month period of where it raises its, you know, fruit to the maximum potential, it has to rest. Isn't that cool? Like, all of a sudden I was like, creation has to rest. You know, it's just a fruit tree. I'm not a fruit guy. I mean, I don't even drink wine. I know nothing about this. But every time I, I kept having these aha moments, I'm like, why, why would God design it this way? Because it's God. Because he did design it. And so something as cool as a grapevine, even though its whole purpose is to produce a grape, once it's done that, that vine knows it's time to rest. And the vine dresser knows it's resting time. So we as branches know that what? By design, rest is already built into who we are. We have to rest. On the seventh day, he rested. We have to rest. And the vine is already reminding us that in order for it to produce the maximum sweetest fruit that it can, it has to rest. Did you know, if you talk about another objective uh, message, Traditionally, the rocky soil and the four types of soil is not really thought of as being good, right? There's the good soil, the, so the soil by the wayside, the thorny soil, and then the rocky soil. And we only want to be the good soil. I don't know about you, but I never really felt like good soil. Like, I always felt like if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit coming to me where I was, I would, there, like, what chance do we have? And then I read this passage, and I realize that that since grapes were brought here, all the primary crops got all the good land, all the flat, all the agrarian-style land that was all good. That's wheat, barley, that, that's what got those. But you know what was left over? Rocky, terrible soil. And guess what? Grape vines loved it. Why? It turns out another nuance about a grapevine is if you force that grapevine to go down and draw deep, if you force that vine to spread out and seek water, not only does it become more drought resistance, but the very process of spreading out and drawing deep forces the vine to bring more sap and nutri nutrients to bear in what? In the fruit. 
And one of the nuances that they, some of these guys, I mean, I was watching stuff that was translated, so it's not even in our country. One of the things they were talking about is there's this fine balance that the vine dresser is actually trying to do where he's starving out the vine and watering the vine in order to force the vine to draw deep. That's why they kind of mock certain American wines where we have drip irrigation. Because they say that the drip irrigation of American wine forces root balls too high to the surface, thus not allowing it to draw deep, thus impeding its ability to draw greater nutrients and sap. Is this crazy? I mean, Pastor Jeff, I'm telling him, like, I, fear, I don't even know what a wine expert is, but I'm getting ready to go on vacation next week. I wouldn't be surprised if I end up in a vineyard. I mean, I'm fascinated by the fact that God would give us all this stuff in just one passage. We, we read through so many passages in the Bible, and it's such a race to get through it. Somebody lovingly said, Pastor Jeff, you guys have been in a book study in John for like a year. Russell? Hey, if that's what it takes to dive deep, brother, then 12 layer lasagna shouldn't be eaten like one layer at a time. I mean, dive in. Take the time to go through each chapter. Exegete each small passage. Guys, there's nuggets just waiting underneath the surface, and we've got to get to them because it's going to change the way that you live. It's going to change the way that you think because I'm not even to the vine dresser yet. I'm still in the vine, and the best is yet to come. Do you know that older vines produce sweeter grapes? Yeah, and you know why? I love, I got, I got some wine connoisseurs in there. You know why? Because they know where to send the nutrients. Young vines, it turns out, one of the things that's exciting for a young vine is growing its branch and putting as many leaves as possible on it. And an old vine knows the only thing that really matters is the fruit. And so it channels its nutrients and sap to where it does its greatest good. By having deep roots, guys, your spiritual life will produce sweeter fruit. If you can't see the spiritual meaning in that, oh, man. Well, this time is so difficult, Pastor Jeff, and, and I've had seven conversations about shots, and we're not even talking about Jesus anymore. Guys, if you can't go deep and find the water, then you're missing out on the sweetness that's going to come from realizing we're just branches. It's divine's responsibility to do all that. And as long as we abide in him, he's already going deep. He's already, he has the nutrients ready to send you. You need only abide. The vine dresser. Jesus is the vine, but he wants you to realize something. There's someone involved in your life that you've been taken for granted, and his name is the vine dresser. And let me tell you about the vine dresser. In one video I watched, the vine dresser gives a 40-minute interview, and I wrote down just the key things that he shared, and the first thing he told me was this, vine dressing is a 24-7 day-a-week operation. You cannot do it for money. You can only do it for the love of the grape. No matter how much machinery they try to buy me, in the end, it's still me who picks and prunes and cares for each vine every day. And as he's speaking, he's standing in front of at least a 100-acre vineyard. It's massive. And he told me 
in that video, he said, my single goal one day is to tend the very vineyards in heaven one day. Because there's no greater joy for that guy than to make that vine do what it's meant to do, produce fruit. He puts his hands on each branch and meticulously pulls and prunes and picks and prods each branch, each stem, each leaf that should not be there. The vine dresser refuses to let that vine grow wild because it will if you don't. So what does he use? He uses God's word, the trellis. And he locks that vine in to a position that allows a few things. One position that's crucial is sunlight. Sunlight is a vine's friend. And isn't sunlight our friend? Doesn't the Bible say that we are not children of the dark? We're not supposed to be doing our work at dark. We're children of the light. It turns out if a vine dresser allows a branch to go behind another branch and begin to grow, the shade itself can then be detrimental to the life of that vine. And thus the vine behind the sunlight vine has to be pruned. The vine dresser knows that. Not only that, his job is to maintain each vine on the trellis each day so that the vine does not fall and land on the ground. Why? If a vine lands on the ground, he has to lift the vine with his hand and then individually clean each leaf. Lift and clean. My golf buddies out there, where's Russ? Lift and clean. Lift in place. Right there, right there. We get a golf term right inside of the passage, right? He lifts and cleans each one because one leaf that's dirty does not allow sunlight at the same capacity that the rest of the vine would then take sunlight, which would then affect the full vine's ability to produce equal sweet fruit. Not one leaf. Individually washed, cleaned, lifted, and then what? Back to the vine, back to the trellis, and then tied up for support. He's going to support it in such a way that just like the picture, allowing the vine a certain number of spaces to grow one to three optimum clusters. When he prunes as he sees fit, he's not punishing. Pruning is not punishing. Too many of us today are looking at our relationship with Christ and we're saying, why would he cut this off of me? Why would he remove this particular facet of what I'm doing right now? It's a good thing. It may be. But do you know what's best? Correct. You are not the vine dresser. You are the branch. And you do have a job, but he has a job, and he knows what's best for you to protect you and allow you to do the best thing that you can do, which is grow the maximum amount of fruit. So he prunes. He does not punish. And he prunes as he sees fit. And when he removes leaves and concerns, what he's saying is those extra leaves and branch, the thickness or length, are taking away nutrients that need to be diverted to the fruit. So I will remove them. Guys, it's all about the fruit. The sole purpose of the vine, the sole purpose of the vine dresser is to produce fruit. And in that production of fruit, it's to share that fruit with someone else. The blessing of a Christian's life, the proof of a Christian's life is in the blessing of somebody else. At some point today, during the response time, these small cups of grapes are back here and back there. You're going to have a chance to take one. When you take that grape in your mouth and you bite into that, I want you to realize something. That is the blessing of the vine dresser's love and care. It represents everything that they labored for. 
Another interesting nuance, the outside of a grape is actually called the skin or the flesh. It's what protected. It has a waxy coat on it. And the inside, the juice, in and of itself, could be thought of as a mini communion and one small fruit. I couldn't help but think about this. At this time, there was a disciple that was showing himself to not be a good branch. And he had to be pruned and removed from the group. His name still remains in the book, but he could not remain on the vine. Because a dead, wicked branch means infection and sin can then be transmitted to the whole lot. And the vine dresser will not allow it. It's love that causes the vine dresser to remove the branch. And why does he have to burn it? That seems so harsh. Because here's what happens. If you leave a pile of dead sticks laying around, guess what's going to come to that? Insects. And the one thing the vine dresser does not want in his vineyard is insects. So its only option is total destruction, thoroughly removed. Finally, us. Branches. Because he's such a concise God, I hate to tell you guys this, a branch is 36 inches. It is situated to grow one to three clusters with optimal spacing, 12 inches apiece, and that includes 20 leaves. You see, I'm one of those guys that when, when Jesus speaks something clearly to me and says, I'm so much more involved in your life than you possibly understand, so let me just tap you on the shoulder really quick and say, you know what, I got it down to the, this. And at 21 leaves, what that means is that one leaf has to go. For maximum fruit potential and for the clusters to be grown evenly, even if a small cluster decides to pop up halfway through, halfway through the three main clusters, the fourth small cluster has to go. All the clusters that are intended to make it to production all have to be of the same size and of the same sweetness. And a fourth cluster that isn't in that capacity has to be removed. Pruning hurts. You've seen shears before. It leaves a mark. And we're trying to abide in him, and yet we feel this cutting thing, and we're like, why would you do that? Yet I ask you guys, why would a branch ask the vine or the vine dresser anything? We only have one job, abide. We only have one job, produce much fruit. Don't produce a fruit. Produce much fruit. Because why? Because children of God produce much fruit. They, they have joy, peace, love, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, which leads to faith. It's never been a singular issue. It's never been singular in what you're supposed to be working towards. Producing fruit is not something that's designed for church members or for staff or for pastors only. Every single participant who is in the vine, who is in Christ, is an active member in producing fruit. And you have a responsibility. Please answer that. It could be God. Let's get that call right away. Branches that do not produce fruit, they have a purpose. Bonfires. Right? That's the only thing you can do with a branch because it's taking nutrients. It's taking sap. It's taking life from the vine and it's doing nothing with it. 
Pastor Jeff, that seems harsh. Guys, whose writing was this in? What color was the passage? Red. We can... We can try to, you know, try to soften things up at times, but we have to realize there's nothing to be afraid of. When God says it, if Jesus says it, it is what it is. It's the truth. It will always be the truth. And he's just telling us so that we can keep the main thing the main thing. Focus on the fruit. Branches were made to be in the light. Christians were made to be in the light. Darkness is not our friend. You are secure branch to the trellis. You are secure to God's word. It will hold you. It will guide you. It will direct you to where you need to go. Why is a branch trying to think it's doing so much more than what it's doing? It's where a branch is. I actually like branch better than sheep. Let's be honest. The last time, who was it, Josh or Pastor Eric talked about sheep? It wasn't very encouraging, was it? I mean, seriously. Sheep. It's painful. Like, they have to be led to still water. Why? Because if you lead them to rapids, they will go straight into it, drink, and drown. That's not really encouraging for me. I like to think I'm smarter than that. Now he's calling me a branch, and I'm like... Hey, a branch feels like a step up from a sheep, right? But maybe not. I mean, we're just, we're just hanging out there, abiding. But what do we end up get to do? I mean, does the cluster come from the vine? No. Does the cluster of grapes come from the vine dresser? No. In the end, the very end results of everything that vine dresser labors from comes from us, the branch. That's pretty cool, right? That's a pretty cool part to be part of. We are the end result of his labor of love. And from that, we get to bless everyone who partakes in that grape. The goal, max fruit. The results, his glory, which shows us to be true disciples. That's it. There's nothing else to it. You can't add any more because that's it. Max fruit goal shows his glory, allows us to say we are truly his disciples. Before I invite the band worship team to come back up here, I'm going to read this passage again. And I want you guys to think about this as I read this passage to you one last time. You know what? You can shut your Bibles down. Just shut your whole thing down. Just let me read this to you slowly. And as, cl- as clearly as I can, because I want you to realize just how deep the Father's love is for you. That he would walk through a vineyard at each branch and pull, pick, and prune away the very things that we think sometimes, hey, I need that. Hey, that's important. That he would put his hands on us and develop us and bring us to a place that our lives can be a blessing to the world around us. That the repercussion of our lives is fruit, good fruit, juice that blesses and nourishes other people. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. And you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. 
as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather him, and they cast him into the fire, and they are burned. But if you abide in me, and my my word abides in you, ask whenever you wish, whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. For my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. I'm going to invite the worship team, the response team to come up. And I'm going to pray. Father God, I just thank you for what is a simple object lesson. A simple passage in the Bible that I think I've taught ten times. And yet I've never been so motivated by uh, vineyards and vine dressers and grapes as I have been in the last few weeks because I feel like if anything the last few months have taught us is that everything that we once took for granted seems like it's being jeopardized. Maybe every time simple freedoms are removed we're reminded by what you said to us that if we followed you, if we did as you did, if we go where you go, that the world would not like us. Matter of fact, we would be enemies of the world. And I think so many of us have tried to be friendly with the world. We've tried to show our vines of ivy and our vines of bougainvillea and act like we're growing something and doing something. And there's no true fruit in there. There's no salvation. There is only hope in one true vine. And you've already claimed to be that. You said that you are the way. You said that you are the truth. And you said that you are the life. Father God, no matter where we are this morning, no matter what we've been going through, I pray that this morning that we could just get simple again. We could get small again and just take something like a simple grape in our hand and just realize that it's the repercussion of the vine dresser's deep, deep love for us that we have that. May we as a church, may we as a people, may we as followers of Christ seek to continue to be that simple grape that even in its dried up capacity as a raisin still provides nourishment and enjoyment to another human being. It's only if that grape falls to the ground and is not eaten does it not fulfill its purpose. Help us to fulfill the purpose that you gave us to be your children, to bear much fruit, and to multiply. We do it all and say it all in your son's precious and holy name.
thing I didn't mention was the Holy Spirit. Last week we learned about the role of the advocate. But you see, he hadn't released the advocate yet when he gave this objective lesson. But we have the Holy Spirit. And so there is still one nuance left for us today. That is the sweetness of that grape. I mentioned to you that the point of the root ball was to draw down deep and pull the sap up to that fruit. And the Holy Spirit is just that. The Holy Spirit is that sweetness that comes from us that we get to share with other people. Church, the world needs refreshment. The world needs what we have in the vine. And you don't need to do anything else but abide. Show up. Receive some sunlight. Be attached to the word of God. Love somebody. Care, goodness, kindness. These are the things that should come from you. And the world needs us now more than ever. May this simple, objective lesson be an encouragement to you this week. Go and be the church. We'll see you next week. God bless.